You're listening to the Overfunctioning Leadership Podcast, learning leadership concepts through life experience. Well, hello, friends, to another podcast sponsored by Overfunctioning Leadership. I am Alex. I'm John. And I'm Zach. And today we got a little surprise. I want to tell these gentlemen what the topic's going to be, but I might as well wait until I actually introduce it because it, you know, I don't want to give it away. It's my own little secret. Yeah, we have no idea what the topic is for today. Zach and I are ill-prepared, so this t- <laughs> this podcast may last three minutes. Who knows? We're sailing in a fog. <laughs> well, at least... sea metaphor. Yeah, at least three minutes to just get through the recap of our last episode, right? So, and speaking of recapping of our last episode, which was sent in by a listener slash viewer. A nice last named Abby, right? Is that, mm-hmm. is that right, John? I remember the name Abby. Uh-huh. Anyways, so um, she asked us about TV and film and the portrayals of leadership within that and then how it affects our society. And so, gentlemen, what do we talk about and where do we kind of land on that stuff? Well, we discussed that in t- TV and film primarily and, and that the media delivers, produces what the audience wants. And we have a hard time finding examples of people who are good at tasks and accomplishing missions and also having solid connectedness in relationships. It seems like those two things, and I think it's true in life, are, are really hard to do both, both uh, be good at both. Yep. And if you want to actually want to know and listen to more, we actually have some examiners, Zach and Alex's movie reviews on YouTube. And we are going to do some more of those in the future as well. But we've got quite a few on there. So if you want, if you like that media side with the film and the TV, you can check those out on YouTube. Um, by the way, this is episode 29. So, John, this is 29. Uh Let's go with Preston Pearson, played for Ohio State, running back. You might remember, war number 29. No idea. <laughs> Not even a little. <laughs> Preston Pearson. Um, <clears throat> well, I believe that's going to take us into Fable Time, so go ahead and peel back those cucumbers from your eyeballs and uh, pay attention to John's Fable. Well, I had dinner, uh, actually, uh, last week. I was in Louisiana uh, doing a uh, teaching workshop, and I met a person that's a fellow teacher, and we had dinner one night. I actually had crawfish enchiladas, which... Oh. If you know me at all, crawfish is something I would never touch, but he swore that they were good, and they were quite tasty. <laughs> like so, crawdads? Are those yes, the same thing? Okay. I think so. Okay. Um, I might be corrected by some Cajun people, but nonetheless. Uh, so, in the midst of our conversation, talking through, he was a new teacher and actually was a former pastor. So, I'm, I was interested in that. About, I said, how did the pastorate go? He said, not very well. So anytime someone tells me not very well, I'm always interested in to see what happened. And I'm always thinking systems. And uh, he said that the church he was in, he worked for about two and a half years and how difficult it was. And so I just said, so what, was, what was challenging about it? And basically his explanation was just f- failed leadership. And secondly, it was about uh, a lack of understanding of responsibilities 
And so when I was thinking about this fable, I was thinking about, okay, what are some common characteristics I see of, of situations that are really, really difficult? And one is the leader of, in this particular case, the head pastor was a people pleaser, didn't want to offend people, didn't want to approach this parishioner about this because either they gave a lot of money or they tend to be pretty reactive and he was afraid they would turn the board against him. So instead of leading from front, and leading with conviction, he was leading based on relationships and worried about people gossiping about him. And it really led to a culture where everyone was worried about what other people thought. So not leading from conviction, but leading out of uh, almost this emotional neediness. And then secondly, just a lack of clear job descriptions and what people were supposed to do. And so there was a lot of unknowns. So in the midst of that, there's a lot of anxiety. And uh, as the new person, he got the brunt of that anxiety. And then he told me he also didn't handle it very well. He was pretty uh, arrogant and um, pushed back in angry ways. And it was just a really uh, messy, messy situation. So I think a good takeaway is that as leaders, as we try to develop as leaders of having a sense of conviction of what you really believe and what you really think, which is a a hard one pursuit. And then secondly, uh, setting your organization up to be successful by having clearly defined roles and expectations that everyone knows about. Okay. Well, uh, as far as <laughs> what we're talking about today, let's see if that works its way in. Um, I think it definitely does, um, but I don't want to give away everything. So, gentlemen, something that I've been thinking a lot about um, just recently. Um, <clears throat> so, as I grew up, um, I was very, I want to say, I want to say staunch, but like I was very like, I knew what was right and what was wrong, and I... I didn't toe the line. It was like, I'm not going to do certain things. Had a very strong will, and some would say it was stubborn. And so, but I think it was more of like a power of the will than anything else. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is when it comes to willpower, where does that fit within leadership? So you can look at it, will, you know, power of the will in a couple different ways. One power of the will, when I was younger, it was like, I'm not going to do certain things because I know that's morally incorrect or, you know, whatever it's against my code. But then there's also a power of the will of like, I'm going to make this happen regardless of what anybody else thinks. I'm going to put my head down and, you know, will this, will this to make it work. So that's where we're at. And so my overall question is, is where does like willpower, where is that, you know, where's that fit within leadership? So, just an interesting thought i i recall so i do a lot of um research on fitness related things uh what's the best way to throw around a barbell you know how do i play ultimate frisbee better you know those sorts of things but um in one of the blogs that i follow i don't recall exactly which they were talking about willpower and how the goal is to set it up so that you don't need as much um but part of that uh tied back to a study where how you viewed willpower affected how you approached tasks and your ability to accomplish them um, through willpower alone. So they did a survey, and I'll see if I can dig this up and throw it in the show notes, but there was a survey uh, study where they said, do you think that willpower is finite? or infinite. That is to say, is it a muscle that you stretch and grow and develop? And 
you can make it last as long as you need to if you've developed that mm. or is it something that's finite like it's a it's a bar at the top of vid- a video game that every time you use it it goes down a little bit more until there's nothing left and hmm. at that point you just do what's easiest and they said that the people who viewed willpower as infinite um approached their tasks in such a way that they they felt they were able to accomplish they more readily accomplished the tasks that they approached because they felt that they could accomplish them through through their willpower um, as compared to so so an example of this might be you're trying to work out every day in the morning um, your willpower is at the strongest because you've just rested you haven't been expending yourself your reserves are at its max so you're able to force yourself through a very difficult hard taxing workout whereas at the end of the day you've come home from work you come home from um, spending all day doing whatever you're doing, um, you're tired, you're a little exhausted. It's going to take more willpower to do that than it did at the beginning of the day because your reserves are less. Do you think that um, willpower is infinite so you've developed a certain amount of grit such that you can get that workout whether you're tired or done or not? Or is it a, a bar that you say, hey, I am probably not going to do this because... I I spent myself doing other things today. And that's an interesting way to approach this question. Um, how does willpower affect leadership? Because it's sort of how do you view your ability to accomplish tasks? I'm wondering, Alex, what was the reason you chose this topic? Um, so there's just different things within... Uh, my life that I've noticed since I'm so strong-willed on certain things that there's still certain things within my life that I don't like about myself that I, I, I continue to do and the willpower is not making it happen. Mm-hmm. So that's where that came out of and I was like, but there is part of it that, you know, there's a, I feel like that's needed though. I feel like the willpower is still needed. I just wondered where it was within leadership and how much is needed is there something else that we need and also um you know so that's 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 how i got here yeah okay so yeah well i was just asking the question when is willpower required and when is it not so i don't think we have to say in general i really need strong willpower to go on vacation (laughs) or to go see that movie so, but there's times that we do need willpower. And so my question is, when do we need it? And when do we, when do we don't need it? And if we can think about it that way, we might be able to, you know, drill down a little bit more on this topic. So what do you think? When do we need it? And when do we don't need it? Does anxiety go up? Would that be more when you would need it? So I can think of, okay, so me growing up, just kind of going some, some over things, um, you know, like anxiety goes up, we're, let's just go with boys are punching each other. It's <laughs> just like standard flare, standard flare. Let's just, no, no, no. There was like a time in which if you're a male, most likely at some point in your life, there was like, hey, we're going to get into the punching phase. We're just going to punch each other. So it was like this buildup of like anxiety. For me, it was like, it, it, some, I remember a kid punched me and being like, just grow up. Don't punch me ever again. Like it was just, I don't know. Like. 
is it the point in, in which, and that was kind of a weird example, but like <laughs> where somebody's, I think if somebody's trying to force you to do something else that you don't necessarily want to do, um, and then you say, you know what, no, that, that goes against what I believe in, or on the other end of, man, I really know this is the right thing to do, and I need to do it and make this happen for this group because it's, it's what needs to go into the right direction. So I think addiction psychology is sort of like a tangential interest for me, but um, this sort of lines up with some stuff that I've thought about with regards to addictions mm -hmm. and with habits. And you even mentioned earlier, there are things about yourself that you want to change that it feels like willpower hasn't been enough. Yep. And I like to view it as a path of least resistance. What path are you going to flow down naturally without any guided efforts, thoughts, or exertions, right? When you go through your day, like what is the natural thing for you to do? Um, as compared to when are you going to have to step outside of that rut? So whenever you're stepping outside of that rut is what you need to use willpower for. If I were to use an addiction to, I have a friend who's struggling with, um, chew. He really doesn't want to, um, I don't know. Is it do chew? He doesn't want to tobacco use dip. Chew. Yeah, he doesn't want to use okay. dip, right? And so he struggles because obviously the nicotine is very good for relieving stress and anxiety. But he struggles because he, in times of anxiety, will always turn back to it, and willpower doesn't seem to be enough. Um, and when you look into how to overcome these sorts of things, the first thing they say to do is to find a way to make that less desirable or less easy to come by. So which are in what situation are you more likely to turn to chew? When chew is already in your car after a bad day of work or when you have to go to the store and buy some chew, right? It's like that sort of thing. How easily accessible is it? So how have you set yourself up such that you need to, how far do you have to stray from your normal path to do what you're going to do? And that's sort of like how I gauge how much willpower is necessary. When it comes to the addiction and Just habitual. in general using willpower. If I oh, go okay. to work and I'm used to sitting down at my desk, hopping on Reddit, and not doing work for the th first three hours of the day, and then doing the rest of my work, catching up, doing as much as I can in the last five, right? If that's what I'm used to doing then it's going to take a decent amount of willpower for me to say, I need to stop and change my behavior, right? That's like, in, in my head, I say, that is willpower. That is saying I'm changing my behavior such that I will have a different behavior. And it's not necessarily a regular. It might eventually become the new norm for your behavior, but hmm. it's not at that point. John? Yeah, I just thinking through, I mean, we've talked about, a lot about almost internal willpower. So there's a way that I want to live. There's a way that I am living. And how can I merge those two lines closer together? Willpower, just, you know, more effort can, I don't, it doesn't seem to work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like, so that's the internal part of willpower. My first thought when you asked that question was the external part of willpower. That is that, a leader is trying to will an organization or a team to do a certain task. 
and the people aren't on board. The people don't know really what to do. The people mm-hmm. are resisting or sabotaging typically in, in covert ways. And so the, the leader uses willpower to, you know, to tell, to sell. And then when that doesn't work, it's usually the yell part, you know, the tell, sell, and then yell and to try to force their will towards the group to get them to go a certain way. And that doesn't seem to work either. Mm-hmm. There's a, so it seems to me that willpower, whether it's internal, the moral piece or the external that may be task oriented in both cases, doesn't seem to be very effective and has casualties. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about willpower, John, through your perspective, internal and external, internal is saying I have these guiding principles and um, convictions that I am trying to unite with my actions Mm -hmm. and mindset, right? That's the internal piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the external piece would be saying I want this goal or this task accomplished and I need to make the behavior of either all people involved, my team, the people I'm leading over in line with that. Mm -hmm. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah. That's how I'm asking. That's how I see it. So what is the willpower piece in that? The willpower piece is forcing those two lines together. Yeah. It's the idea of plan and execution being the same. So I have a plan, I have a goal, internal, moral, external task. And then the execution piece is the part that I'm having a hard time willing to happen. Mm -hmm. So is, we're going to talk about the other half of this, of of what you think should be replaced by that, because I think we all have thoughts there. But before we get there, is there any place or time for willpower then? You know, is there a time to where you go, this is beneficial at this point in time? What do we mean by willpower? How would you define willpower? What does that mean? Uh, So the way I'm defining willpower is I'm saying willpower is what it takes to change your behavior. And so I think in my head, I'm imagining willpower being any step outside of that rut. And so what that looks like is two capacities. There's the small steps where I'm changing my rut itself, right? I'm actually changing that path so that my new natural, my new norm Mm -hmm. is going to be slightly different. It's going to actually change my behavior for the long run. And that's a very small incremental willpowers as compared to the big one timers. I normally don't work out. So I'm going to go run 10 miles and then I do that once and I'm good for the next three months because I just like, like I didn't change my behavior for the long term. I didn't change the norm. I just had enough desire to do that that one day that I changed a momentary action rather than the way in which I approach Mm -hmm. things in through myself. I, I don't change my workout routine or whatever yeah i would be along the lines of what zach had to say it's the it's the change in your behavior you you have something the definition okay according to dictionary.com is control exerted to do something or restrain impulses yep so control to so do something is the task oriented and oftentimes in a work setting it's involving others to do this to come alongside or internal restraining of impulses I I was wondering about the notion of homeostasis and you mentioned your friend with Chu and when anxiety grows up, he turns to that. 
And I'm wondering from a systems viewpoint, we know that systems like to maintain that homeostasis. If the reason that willpower is not enough is that systemic forces are stronger than willpower. But eventually, as you create a new homeostasis that when anxiety rises, instead of chewing, you know, I, I pray or I journal or I listen to calming music or something to calm me down in other ways other than the behavior I'm trying to get rid of. Mm-hmm. I think when that's replaced with something different, knowing that that transition from the old to the new is where the homeostasis is disrupted and the systemic forces are so strong that the reversion back is so tempting. But if you can create a new normal where you have a new homeostasis right. that you're now wedded to, that's where change can take place. And they say going back to addiction psychology, they say you don't want to remove, you want to replace. If you create this vacuum but you don't consciously put something new and better in its place, you're going to either fill it again with the old or you're going to find something new that's easy and equally um, without thought or control or guidance and likely detrimental since we're talking addiction, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to end up replacing it with something equally bad or just the same. Addictions. And and is there a correlation between addictions and fractured family relationships. So here's a thought. If somebody is trying to exert willpower over moral failings, could we say that working on reestablishing broken family relationships would lead to someone being calmer? And as somebody is calmer, then the triggers are going to make their acute behavior, their acute turning to formerly self-medicating types of behaviors less pronounced. The theory suggests that in the emotional sphere, if I'm calmer then the triggers, an event, a bad day at work, are going to be less pronounced and I'll get hooked by the nose less often. I'm, we're speaking mostly so far of, of the internal part of the moral part of willpower. I think it depends. I think it depends on a lot of different things. Before we get there, um, would you guys... I suggest that the initial parts of willpower are okay, but the reliance upon it is, could be an issue. Right, Saying that I do know that this is not what I want to do, or... Mm-hmm. This is where I know I want this group to go to. I think that's the good. I think that's good. Like, I think you could say, okay, but then full reliance upon that could be where issues may stem. So what might be an example where the initial willpower would be good? Okay. So like, um, you're within a business system and I don't know, we're, we're, we're doing something. We're not treating our customers maybe the best way that's possible. And, and it's not like anything real glaring, right? But like we could be doing this better. And so I've had this, I don't feel good about this. I'm going to change this so we can treat our customers better. So, initial... so, so we might implement, uh, we're going to have a new customer comment card. Exactly. Or something but like that. then I think the, the part of which you were talking about that could be troublesome is saying, 
and I'm going to will my thought of what needs to work to happen upon everybody else around me. And then I think that's where you have the issue. I think the, I feel like the, the initial part of it saying that mm, this is wrong. I need to do something about this is good, but then mm. forcing everybody else to do whatever you think is correct could be where the stumbling block is. Um, Zach, looks like you had some thoughts. I'm just confused about the scope of willpower. Mm-hmm. In my head, willpower is an internal thing and doesn't necessarily correlate to me willing you to do a certain action because there's a process that I'm going to go about. It it affects my ability to tell you what I want and like it, it's like the trigger for my action. Do I have enough um, gusto to say – this is what I want, right? Like uh-huh. that initial, like, I'm going to head down this path. That's like the willpower. Like, are you actually going to start doing an action? I don't know how willpower correlates per se into me having you guys ha- within an organization. I don't think willpower is like me saying you guys need to do this and then forcing them to do that. That's a process thing to me, right? So can I ask you a question? I mean, you've worked in the work world for a number of years. I want you to think of a initiative that the, a superior uh, of yours um, rolled out for the team or the company that you yourself thought might be a good idea, but seemed to go nowhere that people tended to resist and it just fell flat. Can you think of an example of, and maybe you can't, but this happens frequently in companies that the leader casts, has a belief of customer mm-hmm. service or something, but it just doesn't go anywhere. And I think the That's issue, which I think you're talking about, is because it's so internalized. It's my willpower that I'm not really sharing with anybody else to be able to fix the problem. I'm trying to do it all myself. So I'll give an example. I'm doing some training right now for teachers, and there's a new component of a class that I teach that requires a civics project that all teachers in their new curriculum have to do a civics project. And so the initial thought from teachers is, oh, my gosh, this is one more thing I got to do in this course. I already have a lot to teach. This is terrible, blah, 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 blah. So instead of me saying, well, look, it's on the requirement, you got to do it. So if you don't want to do it, then just don't teach the course and have somebody else teach it. As opposed to saying, look, the fundamental difference in this new course is simply this. And we've all agreed with this. It's that this is a government course I teach that students not only have to know something, but they have to do something. And we all like that change. You've all shared with me that you like the new emphasis of the course, that it's not just about knowledge. It's also students applying knowledge. So if that's true, is not a natural outflow of that some type of civic project where the kids are actually doing something. So if that's the case, this is a natural outflow of this, and you can make this as simple or complex as you want in your own classroom, but that just seems to be the natural direction that we'd want to go. And then they're like, yeah, okay, now I see Mm -hmm. that. So what I tried to do is take something they already agreed with and simply say this is a natural outflow of that. And, and it tends to work better if one can cast the vision that way versus so, just saying, this is what we're doing. What would you say is the willpower in that example? And what would you say? It sounds like you have an antithesis of that. Yeah, it's taking an external, it's taking an external 
going from an external compulsion to an internal change within themselves, where they themselves have decided on their own to shift their thinking as opposed to me forcing them. I don't have any authority to do this, but me trying to force them to to change. You have to change. You have to do this project. They themselves have chosen to do it because they've changed their own thinking based on a vision I was able to, I think, cast through that lens. And it's kind of like forced advice, but it's, it's deeper than that because it's very well rooted in somebody having a strong belief about something. So it's a triangle. So let's look at a triangle from this example. So the idea, oh my gosh, yeah. the idea of, of telling someone else, this is what you're going to do. What you're doing in that perspective is you are wedded to the decision. That person's on the outside of the triangle, the most uncomfortable position to be in. But instead, if I can flip it and say, this is something the kids already have to do. You said that you wanted to do this type of thing where students are involved and students are doing something. So I put the two of us on the inside of the triangle mm-hmm. and on the outside of the triangle is the civic project. That's just a different way of viewing it. But I really think the triangle example works here. It yeah. works in lots of other ways, including here. Yeah, definitely. So. Zach, do you do you have a better understanding of what willpower is? You think I, I'm still struggling with the way that willpower. I understand willpower as it relates to internal motivations and outward actions, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I understand that. I don't understand the. I would not call my internal motivation to have X happen, and then expecting another person to do that. There's two levels of willpower there, right? There's your willpower to enact this change, and there's their willpower to accept or reject that, right? You don't like the word willpower. Yeah, I'm struggling. So what other word would you put in there? That's what I'm struggling with. I think inherently the issue is that you're thinking about the willpower of the other person. Willpower is individual. Right, that's what, yeah. So you got to forget about the other person. But I wouldn't say it's willpower that forces – like in John's example, the willpower that he is doing is, one, to respond to this criticism. He needs the willpower to say, hey, guys, you are looking at this civics thing as a burden, right? And his response to that needs willpower in and of itself. And he has set himself up in a way that his position says, I – I am the person to do this, right? Like this is my role. I am the voice of reason. I'm going to to try and change their motivation so that they understand the why behind this. Um, I wouldn't say that I, – I think everything that's happening about the willpower – about the process of flipping the triangle is good. Like, I like that. Yeah. I'm not sure I would throw the label of willpower on it. Maybe that's just something I'm missing. No, I, I, I think that's what we're trying to get to is that willpower only takes you so far. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to have that willpower to say, wait, th- this does need to change. And so I'm going to help guide people to that. How you guide them to that is going to be dependent upon whether you're going to stick with your own will of saying this is the way it needs to be done or maybe something different needs to be done. And so I don't know if that clears anything up for you. Um, so maybe let's talk about the end of instead of what part only takes you so far. So what's the end of the end of it? So what do you need to do instead? We talked about flipping the triangle and yeah, well in a group setting, you know, people want autonomy and you know, I've had people in workshops say, well, I'm not going to do that. 
and say, well, that's your choice. You know, it's not my issue. This is the expectation. You can choose to do it if you want. And I think in a work setting, when someone's leading, trying to lead some change in some initiative, you can't willpower um, to will a group to take on something. I'm trying to, sh- to flip it from external pressure to internal desire. So in a group, I'm trying to get them to, if they buy into the vision, then they're willing to do it. And I don't have to put pressure on them to do it because they've decided on their own to do that. That's the question of how you flip that. Yeah. So when I look at that, what you've done is not like when you're willing someone to do something, you're just saying, I want this outcome. And there, there is your desire to do all that, but your, their willpower their ability to buy into that. If they are not desiring it, it takes a whole lot of willpower on their part to engage in that. But if you flip that triangle and you say, this is why um, it's a good thing. This is why it's desirable. This is um, good for you. This is something that we can partner on in this. You've reduced that barrier to entry. You've reduced the amount of willpower it takes for them to change their behavior and accept that. Which is clearly relational. Right. So you have a better relationship yeah. with them. Yeah. I, I was having a conversation with someone this week who was talking about a building leader that's in their building. And they said that they're great at um, organizing stuff and they're great at educational initiatives, but they're terrible with people. And if you're terrible with people, then you are going to be an over-functioner because you are you are willing people to do things through compulsion, through fear, through rewarding those that do and punishing those that don't. Uh, I think you're right. It is stress is relational and organizational change is relational. And I think many leaders are unaware of that. They just think better ideas are going to move the needle. Better ideas are going to yep. disrupt the homeostasis and it just simply doesn't work. Yeah. So let's flip this from external to internal. So you have an internal willpower to say, I don't want to do this anymore. You talked about addictions and stuff like that. Um, that only takes you too, as far, too far either. And you, you mentioned about replacing that with something else. Um, I'd be willing to bet that too. I mean, we wrote down here, um, you do something different and you do something to ask for help too. If you're trying to do something you don't want to do anymore, then willpower is not making it happen, which in the initial instance, which you said getting out of the rut, there's a little tiny thing saying, I don't yeah. want to do this. And I'm starting to replace it with something else. I think mean, somebody's be said about this, but I feel like this is also a relation, which is what John was talking about with going back to the family. You know, maybe my family connections aren't well, or maybe it's to a point to where I'm not telling anybody about anything and I'm relying solely on my willpower, which is not working and I'm not allowing anybody else to help me. Yeah, and let's look at the system of that, uh, and then I want to jump back over to what you were talking about, John. Uh, but when we seek that help, when we say, this rut is too deep for me to change, I don't know what to do, and we bring someone else, what we've done is we've essentially um, changed the homeostasis by adding someone who has a lower level of emotional involvement and thus is not adding to that anxiety, hopefully, right? There, there are senses where you go up to someone and you say, well, I'm addicted to this and 
that like yeah. either it's mm-hmm. the it shoots the anxiety. Yeah, but like as, your, your buddy with the chew. If somebody mm-hmm. came, if you said that to somebody, you'd be like, "Well, that's awful. I can't believe you do that. Like yes. that is not helpful whatsoever." Exactly. Yeah. Whereas it, you know you're talking about seeking professional help or a therapist or something. Like obviously that's going to lower the amount of anxiety, which will allow you to approach something more rationally and less emotionally, which is obviously what we want. We want people to approach to look at their own emotional reactions and the emotional drives to their behavior, examine those motives, and then rationally respond to those, right? Like, that's the ultimate goal. So jumping over to what you were saying, John, when we're talking about I am going to try and will this to happen, right? The person who is good with the initiatives and good with the – what was the other thing? Just educational change and visions that they want for the school. When I'm good with that, but I'm not good with people, me saying, I want this to happen, has a settled amount of willpower. Like you have said, this is what I'm going to make happen. And there's a large amount of willpower to that. And you are not controlling the other person's willpower and involvement in that task. Um you can explain yourself, you can relate to those people, and you can develop a relationship such that they have less to overcome to join that. Oh, it might be more work, but it's the reward is greater because I understand X, Y, and Z. Now, that's good leadership. On the other side of it, right, where you're not relating to people, where you're not um, responding to the wise and the rational meaning, but you're responding to the emotional, you set up rewards and punishment. What you've just done is you've actually increased your own willpower necessary to stand behind it, right? You not only have to infor- to re- achieve this end of your task, but now you also have to um, – Stand behind that. We talk about nerve of leadership. You've now just doubled down on what you have to do over functioning to achieve this end rather than relating to people, rather than bringing them into this triangle and lowering the amount of willpower required for them to engage with you as a team. Does that make sense? It does. Well, and the failure is higher. It hurts more. Yeah. If you fail, it is bad news. Because it's all on you. Yeah. I mean, it's all your initiative. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, even internally, before you even, even internally, it's bad. You got to think about it. if you double down on yourself and then yeah. you do bad, you're dipping even deeper down in. So I'll, sorry. No, I, I, I'm going to go back to, you know, Zach, you said, I understand X, Y, and Z. You mentioned something about in the organization that I can understand X, Y, and Z. Those, that phrase indicates that somebody can be thoughtful and rational and reasonable. And when a system is anxious, I understand X, Y, and Z just doesn't happen because we feel, we don't think. So I think the role of a leader is to lower the anxiety in a system to allow people to be more thoughtful and see that vision. Therefore, decreasing the need that I have to exert my will over them because they're choosing to buy into what the leader actually thinks is best. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that, that phrase is key. Yeah. Another thing that I'm thinking about that um, I find interesting is when we are approaching these, these things, I have something that I want to accomplish. Am I creating a triangle for the other person or am I um, – a part of the triangle with that person towards this common goal. Mm-hmm. So uh, the example of that with the rewards and punishment, am, am I making this end more desirable in and of itself? Mm-hmm. Or 
am I adding another thing for them to triangle where they're going to try and draw close to this overall task mm-hmm. because of this third thing, mm-hmm. right? And are they trying to draw close to the reward? Mm-hmm. And so they'll, in addition, draw close to my task or... Are they trying to distance themselves from mm. a punishment? And mm. so they'll draw close. In both of those situations, it's a reactive response mm-hmm. to the fear mm-hmm. rather than a rational response mm-hmm. to the task itself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, this has been quite intriguing, gentlemen. Um, I, I, I enjoyed this. I had not knowing what was going to be and <laughs> taking theory and just making it come alive. Yeah. So when it comes down to it, when we talk about willpower here, externally, internally, good, initial good thing to say, this is, this is what I believe in. This is what I want to go to. But then the next step of saying, okay, I need to allow as a relational person, you know, I need to be able to allow other people in to either help me with something. I'm internally having issues or help me with something externally when I'm trying to get some sort of something going. And so, but relying solely on your willpower won't work. Only take you so far and it's yep. not very far. Yep. And especially within our society, I was even thinking, you said the word grit and there was actually a show on TV. Do you remember it was called American Grit? Or was there even I, another one? There was a movie called True Grit, but yeah. that was John Wayne. Well, anyways, but this is like a this is like American society. Well, I'm gonna, mm-hmm. you know, tie up my bootstraps even mm-hmm. tighter, and I'm gonna do whatever the heck you know what I mean. Like I'm gonna make this money. So that is within our culture for for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, um, anyways, I thought it was just an interesting thing that I was thinking through. So thank yeah. you for going on this ex- exploration with me yeah and so to sum it up my final thoughts would be when you know that you are using your willpower when you're tapping into that muscle we'll say are you going to require the same amount or more willpower next time to achieve that task right so if i want to accomplish a task and I start adding rewards and punishments, is that increasing the amount of willpower I'm going to need in the future or decreasing it? In some cases, you might need to increase it because we talk about the nerve of leadership. People might react negatively and you need to stand behind it. Like that, that's understandable. But assuming that you don't have those added outward pressures coming in on you, are you increasing the internal amount of pressure and effort that your willpower will demand or decreasing it. Cause I think that's a good way to examine whether or not you are properly using willpower to change eventual behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I think your point was real well taken that willpower, willpower will only take you so far. And what oftentimes happen is we just try even harder and the American dream. <laughs> yep. And whether it's internal or external and, there's diminishing marginal returns to willpower. Awesome. Well, check us out on iTunes, Google Play, but now it's some Google Podcast. There's a Google Podcast app. See if you want to use yeah. it or not if you're on Android. Otherwise, just stick with Apple Podcasts or whatever that app's no. called. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm not an Apple well. fan. Um, and then uh, <laughs> Simplecast, YouTube, um, Jesse Huffstetler. Thank you so much for our wonderful music. Sick beats. And... The email, John. What is that? That is the of podcast at gmail.com. That is spelled T H E O F podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> With that, I'm Alex. And John. And Zach. <laughs> and we'll catch you next time. See you around. Adios.
Hey guys, um, it's Zach here again. And Alex. And yeah, uh, if you remember last episode, Alicia, we're so sorry. <laughs> we recorded this episode on the same day as the other episode and... Whoops. So your name is not Abby, it's Alicia. And thanks again so much for asking a question. We love listeners contributing. So uh, let us know how you thought about last episode and this episode. And uh, yeah, super mega fan Alicia. Yep, thanks. Sorry. Again, bye.